BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing Damien Chazelle's Hollywood epic, Babylon. We go deep in this one as we analyze this love letter to movies and how cinema has evolved over time. Just as a quick preview, one of us really likes the movie, while the other kind of loves it. Try to guess who's who. All right, Travis, I <laughs> am kind of nervous about this episode. This is the, <laughs> I don't even think nervous is the right word. Like uh, this is the m- most I've anticipated seeing how you feel about a movie. <laughs> we have and, talked about this movie a few times. We have, like there's been a little bit of a, <laughs> a through line through previous episodes building up to this moment uh especially with la la land being the previous episode and just going so hard into chazelle (laughs) but uh, yeah it's been weird because i wouldn't say i had much of a relationship with damien chazelle like before 2023 like i'd seen whiplash and like thought it was all right seen la la land thought it was like okay but like wasn't my favorite um, never saw First Man and saw how long Babylon was. So that's usually <laughs> when something's three hours long, there's not a very good chance I'm going to s- seek it out um, unless I'm forced to, which this podcast has has done. Um, <laughs> so uh, but the, as we know, this year we, we covered a lot of land on the show and I did not like it. Uh, really didn't like it and watched Whiplash as well because I, I was excited to rewatch Whiplash because I was like, oh, I bet I'll like it more this time. And I liked it a lot less. Uh, So not good energy heading into Babylon. But you were, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but you seemed at least more confident than those other two movies that I would like this. Yeah, especially when I was rewatching it last night, there were just moments where I was like, Travis has to love that, right? Or he has to be, (laughs) that has to be something that he appreciates. Um. This was my second time watching Babylon. Okay. And first time since watching La La Land. I'd only seen Whiplash and been like, oh my goodness, Whiplash, Damien Chazelle, and then skipped La La Land and First Man. And then went and saw Babylon and was still very impressed by Chazelle's filmmaking and then watched La La Land and was so angry at him Mm -hmm. uh, that it was kind of nice to go back to Babylon again and be like, oh Okay, so it was a good experience the second time. Yeah, it was still, I would say it was even better than the first time. When I saw it the first time, I went to this theater, um, like a little smaller theater here in Austin, and they serve food, but they give you one of those pucks 
that light up when your food's ready, but that mm-hmm. randomly yeah. flash intermittently. And this woman just had it out on the table in front of her. So everybody in the two rows behind her could see this flashing red disc sitting on the Weird. table. And that was the first 15 minutes of the movie and finally had to lean forward and be like, can you not? <laughs> just like, Didn't the flashing light fit in with the party, though? Like all these crazy uh, lights and dancing going on? I mean, a little bit. You could make that. You could try to. You could try to say that. Um, and then I had no idea it was going to be three hours when I got the ticket. So I was sitting in the movie, and it just kept going and going and going. And I was so torn uh, on the first watch. It was something that I wasn't sure that I necessarily liked all that much, but I was impressed by and. Then I've thought about it almost every day since seeing it back in, what, like December or January? Is that when uh, it came out? Yeah, it released in the U.S. December oh, wow. 23rd. And you've thought about it every day, so like 200 straight days. I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I saw it in January. I, I thought about it a lot, especially the song that's like the motif song. Uh Mm-hmm. For the movie, that song that plays at the party and it's throughout, catchy. it's so catchy. It's so good. Um, so it's one that's definitely grown on me, and I was excited to go back and see it a second time, uh, just to see, you know, did it hold up to some of the, I guess, idealizing or aggrandizing I've done in my head over the last few months. Right. Yeah. So this was my first watch. Um, and I provided all the context I think necessary that I do not like Damien Chazelle, <laughs> at least so far. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen First Man. Um, who knows? Maybe it's a, a secret hit waiting. Like, we'll appreciate it in 50 years or something. But for now, I have no plans of watching it. And Babylon was... Babylon was a strange experience for me. Um... I watched most of it on my own. I started watching it with my wife and she she wasn't really watching it actually because she knew she wouldn't finish it with me. So she was like kind of on her computer and watching it at the same time. And uh, um, <laughs> she was off board with this movie pretty quickly. Uh, probably when the elephant shit all over Manny's face. Um, and you see the guy the, with Manny. Manny stays yes, of course. pretty clean. I think he gets some ricochet there, but you're right. It doesn't spray <laughs> directly on him. Um, and I remember Lauren just be like, she was just like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, I don't know. That's pretty disgusting. Like as somebody, I, I, I yeah. started not liking the jackass movies when they started doing like too much shit stuff. <laughs> so um, I was like already kind of like, oh, okay, that's pretty gross. But I, so basically my whole attitude of this movie was, I really wanted to like it, especially since it's about movies. And I'm usually a sucker for that kind of plot. Um, I especially uh, one about silent movies. Like I was pretty stoked for that once I realized that's what was happening because I really love silent movies. And I don't know if I can even really. I mean, I probably I'm sure I could if I sat down and thought about it a little bit more, but I can't think of many movies I love that are about like the silent film era. They always movies are always about like you know old Hollywood or like the transition to the new Hollywood, something like that. Um, 
but silent movies just like never get a fair treatment and like I just think they're incredible. I, I can't wait for the day we start getting silent movies in 4K. Like I, I can't wait to see these these old just paramounts, this testaments to like the ability of visual storytelling getting that kind of treatment, visual treatment. Um, so I was pretty stoked for this movie once I realized where it was going and was so basically every moment my wife was like what is this like what is it doing I was like kind of defending it even though like <laughs> I sort of agreed with her <laughs> because I was like really holding out for this movie like I wanted it to work I wanted to like it and then eventually she left and like I was just left with the movie and yeah. I had to watch it through like three segments because I've got a you know I've got a baby it's like it's tough to like sit down for three straight hours to watch a movie um and slowly but surely as I watched this movie the life drained from me and I couldn't defend it repeatedly like every time I saw what it was doing or what it was trying to do and the power it was trying to invoke like I got more and more depressed that like the movie wasn't handling things the way like I would do it and <laughs> I would say by the end of it and I'm not I don't I hate to exaggerate too much and I hate to go this far because I'm sure we'll cover really bad movies in this show but probably one of the least enjoyable movies I've ever watched. Wow. Wow. Okay. I uh I could, can think of just about nothing in this movie that I really liked and the one thing I did really like was eventually ruined. <laughs> what was the one thing you did really like? I think I really love the direction Chazelle went with Brad Pitt's storyline. I guess Jack Conrad. Um, yeah. I thought that when the movie slowed down with his character and he had time to reflect on who he was and his place in this grand thing being built like in Hollywood, like I thought the movie gained a little clarity and... I mean, I think the movie's a bit of a mess in general about like what it's about. Like it's about it's both very simple what it's about. Like if you're just thinking about the transition from Silent Hollywood to what it became, um, and also like just about so many things that like I I don't know if I could actually say what it's specifically about. Um, but in those moments, like I I felt like the movie had a voice and a personality. Um, when it stopped like trying to constantly be chaotic and like switched between a million different things and just like sat with something finally, I was like, oh man, I'm just watching Brad Pitt act. Like he feels like one of these guys that we've forgotten about in Silent Hollywood. Um, and then it was, I just thought, and this is, I guess something else we'll be talking about throughout our discussion when he kills himself. Um, it felt really like feckless and just like, cold in a way I didn't appreciate like I didn't I, I didn't think it it didn't end his story in a way that I I liked like I thought the, I thought the statement being made about his transition out of Hollywood and like how people there's we have no use for some people in Hollywood anymore like I thought it was kind of beautiful in its sad quietness and then it became this like big blown up ugly thing to me and I yeah. just so yeah, it, it, a lot of that kept happening throughout the movie, and why again, why I kept getting depressed. Yeah, the third hour is pretty brutal um, in terms of like the downturn and the just negative vibe that comes off mm -hmm. of things. And even with how much I was into it on my second viewing, 
that third hour is a slog. And some of that is just like the function of the fact that it's the nader and getting into the price and cost and mm-hmm. low end of the Hollywood experience that balances out the highs at the beginning of the movie and really shows how low and ugly it can get from Tobey Maguire's like seedy Hollywood parties and <laughs> all of that to what ends up happening with Manny and uh, Nelly and uh, Jack's conclusion. It's just a bummer. And when you've watched so much movie to have it all kind of come crashing down at once is a lot. And in terms of what the movie's about, I think the overall broader thrust that it's getting at is that the experience of what it means to be part of the Hollywood machine and the legacy of that, which Jack ends up talking about that with what's the reporter's name again? Oh gosh. I was kind of trying to figure out in my head, like who she's supposed to be imitating, but uh, yeah. What's her name? Is it Ruth Adler? No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. No, I don't, I don't remember. Her there's name. so many characters. <laughs> I know. Like, how do you even keep track? Um, reporter Babylon. Well, in that conversation with her, she kind of uh, lays it out on the line of, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to live on forever as part of these moving pictures and what it means to have been part of Hollywood. People will still be like saying Jack Conrad a hundred years from now where nobody will remember me. And it, that's kind of the, the soul of it all. And we see that with Manny at the end, he's been away from movies out of Hollywood, but when he goes and watches singing in the rain, Hmm. there's this revelation of this is what I was a part of, even though it hurt, even though there was sacrifice, even though it broke me in ways, this is what I got to be a part of. And is that worth it? Which kind of comes back to the cycle of the party and why we see Nelly back at the party and coming full circle. And then the whole history of movies leading up to the present day. It's kind of this thing of it sucks, but isn't it wonderful? (laughs) That's kind of at the core of the movie, the personal cost that to be part of the whole and the greater Babylon that is the Hollywood experience. Yeah. Uh, there's something very beautiful and dynamic and interesting to me about that, especially totally. when we have this subgenre that has been at the core of some of the movies that we've talked about, like Drive and La La Land and... I imagine we'll do a Mulholland Drive episode at some point. We've talked about Mulholland Drive like 10 times, I feel like. Yeah, and the fact that these movies all explore the same thing, that being part of Hollywood has this appeal, this beauty, this like meaning to it, but also crushes individuals in a way. It can be so unforgiving to individuals uh, that it can be painful. So, I mean, in that genre, I find it to be a very fascinating way of going about it and such a superior way to tell the story than in La La Land because Uh it actually takes us through the whole story rather than cutting off at the end. Very true, yeah. 
but then you know we're saying that the third hour which would be what i wanted from la la land is so painful <laughs> in this and is that just uh inevitable in a story like this where you have it so front-loaded and so back-loaded with the the sad parts is there a way to fix the flow of the story I, fixing quotes that it feels better or less I mean, heavy when you get to that last hour i don't know for sure like there it's tough to answer that question because like there's a million things you could do <laughs> to make this basically we're saying like how could this movie be something different like well it would have done a million different things if it wanted to be a different movie um yeah i you know you called the third hour brutal like i don't even know if i would use the word brutal because to me the ending of Mahal and Drive is brutal. Like, damn, you feel for that woman. You like understand the place she's in. Like, yeah. to me, the end of Babylon's like kind of gross. <laughs> like yeah, brutal, uh, brutal in like a viewing experience kind of way. Not okay, in, like, sure, an, yeah, in an emotional way. Just like sure, brutal yeah. as like, ugh, I like this is a slog. Yeah, but like, it's a slog, but it's also just like a slog filled with like just ugly moments, like. As much as I want to relish in Tobey Maguire being whoever he's supposed to be in this movie, which I really enjoyed his performance. Like, he, he's a real whack job in this. And, like, I, I like that. Um, <laughs> but even that, like, going through all... That's the thing. There were so many things in this movie that, like, I wished movies would do. Like, right away out of the gate. I think the opening party scene's, like, decent. Like, I think that's all right. And uh, I, maybe what I like most about it is, like, they're just people like fucking <laughs> there's just like a bunch of naked people like it's complete debauchery yeah. there's like a bunch of like dick jokes it's kind of i'm kind of like oh wow like you never see this in movies like something just completely irreverent <laughs> like no candor at all just like here's a bunch of naked people doing disgusting things like that's kind of cool um but as the movie wore on and i'm thinking about Tobey Maguire's or James McKay's is it James? Yeah, James McKay's trip through whatever hellhole he's taken them through <laughs> at the end there. Um, I just like it all just feels what well, it does actually make me think of that opening scene now how like I, I did enjoy it and I think it's a good use of the whole like one shot one take thing because it's it's taking us through a party and it's and it's letting us see what it's like to be at this party basically like this is what it would be like walking through it but that kind of scene and that type of energy happens so many times throughout the movie that i think it kind of loses its steam like there's so many scenes in this movie where damien chazelle is trying to like cross cut between like five things happening at once and trying to make us feel the energy and intensity of all of it at the same time and it reminded me of the end of uh, everything everywhere all at once where like god like the fifth time that happens i'm like okay like it's kind of losing its power like it's not as emotional as i'd like it to be i'm not as in it as i'd like it to be because like it feels so manufactured now that happens so many times that like by the end like every time it's happening i'm just like i was like i know this is gonna end in like an ugly moment where like hell rains down in everybody and somebody's life is ruined <laughs> i get it like it just kept happening over and over in a way that like it just wasn't interesting to me i guess like i understand the point of it i understand the idea that you know it's babylon it's like the fall of like the city or something like that and something rebuilt in its place and people are shoved out so new people can come in like i get the point um but i got the point early on in the movie like i guess that's my whole 
thing about Damien Chazelle, and I feel like the question I've asked in every single one of the movies I've seen with him now this year is like, how is he building on this point? Like, how is he taking me deeper into this? His movies just feel a little one note to me. Ouch. I feel like this is maybe the his biggest attempt at doing something, like taking somebody into it. But yeah, I mean, the thing, it's funny. Uh, Eleanor St. John is the reporter. <laughs> okay. Um, that's, that's who that was. But when I first watched the movie, I also was immediately almost turned off by the elephant shitting all over the dude. <laughs> Where that's not my interest level at all too so there is that like gross aspect which i think plays into the idea of like babylon i but that's more like babylon was uh, i guess it was more of that like, i'm sure elephants were in babylon sin and drivel like not drivel but like the idea of like the sinfulness and the mm-hmm. like low browness i guess debauchery sure of it all fits but that's still I don't know how appealing it is. And it is kind of like in a major aesthetic aspect of this. It totally is. I also really thought having Brad Pitt or like Jack Conrad go and kill himself was really the like lowest hanging choice. Totally. Um, Like the easiest choice to make, the least interesting choice to make. I remember feeling like very annoyed by that um on first watch second watch and i mean i kind of knew it was coming so i wasn't as disappointed but still yeah not a choice that i think was the best one to make i just just, like thinking about the end of this movie you know and the whole montage that happens at the end I, i felt nothing while that montage was happening like again i understand the point like Maybe his bluntness is something I don't like in his movies. Um, But like, yeah, I understand like you're going through the history of movies and showing like people have to come and go. So like newer and greater things can happen. Like it's beautiful to be part of this big long thing that will never end and always evolve. Like, sure. But I, I just like, God, I forgot where I was even going because I was so busy just being mad about the ending. (laughs) (laughs) You were just talking about, uh, like um yeah what happened to jack conrad and uh yeah gross factor it just none of it is i i'm just i'm sitting here like again this is the same problem i had in la la land like i'm looking at the end of la la land like i know what it's saying i know it's talking about the sacrifices you have to make to make it in hollywood but like what's missing for me is just like the power of that like uh, it, it it just throughout the movie it's i mean it, it's the same case as la la land because like if you like la la land you probably like the way damien chazelle constructs his movies you like the way he goes about his scenes but like every time a scene is happening i'm just not really feeling it i'm not in it and throughout the movie i really need to be in it for the ending to hit so like it's the same thing as la la land like i look at it and see why well, i know what it's saying but i'm I'm not feeling it. I just, you know, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say now. Sorry. <laughs> I just like, got completely lost. Like it, thinking about, I think the biggest problem with Jack Conrad dying is overall, I don't like the ugliness of the movie and how just like everybody's life turns to shit. It, the, that alone, like, okay, whatever, like lots of movies do that. I, I just think that movies often point towards a moment of redemption 
and something that at least gives a little promise. Uh, and to me, that ending is not like the promise. Like that doesn't fix Jack Conrad killing himself because the the pure visualness of Jack Conrad killing himself, the choice to do it in the first place is ugly. Like it doesn't hold power. It doesn't just gain power because of what happens at the end. Like both need to work. Both of these scenes need to have like their own inherent beauty and need to function on their own for like them to both work together and like combine into some greater result at the end. But like the Jack Conrad moment is just gross. Like it's just like a dumb, lazy choice. And that's how I feel about so many, everybody's storylines in this movie. Like everybody went in the direction that was like the least interesting thing possible. Like Lady Feizu, like uh, what did they do with her? Like, I don't even think like they just like, Mandy just goes up to her and says like, you shouldn't be with Nellie. And like, that's it. Like everybody in this movie just feels used, abused and tossed aside at the end to me. Yeah. Which is kind of the, the point, <laughs> but that, does that make it but i mean in like the artistic like oh what in the, the movie's saying way. like what yeah. i know about this person like am i just supposed to see the end of this movie and be like oh well you know what they were a part of something great like no i still care about the people i still want to know yeah. like what happens to them they need some sort of redemption yeah it is it is strange how she gets kind of booted sydney's story is weirdly handled throughout Oh my god, so weird. Um as well as then Manny, like you kind of have him being the emotional core. I mean, Nelly just drifts off and dies off camera. Uh yeah. which you can still make an argument for how that's interesting or relevant yeah, or I agree that that's a, a little bit better. But yeah, the the last scene with Manny is it enough to just have him have this moment and feel like this was why I did it? Did that justify everything that happened? Does that make it okay? Mm. With how low this movie gets for the character's fates, is it almost like a little bit of a, a Homer statement or almost... (laughs) Like, I'm thinking about the strike in a way, and not like this movie sure. was made with the strike in mind, but almost like uh, a pro-studio movie in that way of, like, hey, they exploit us, they throw us to the side, this business, like, eats us alive. Yeah, there's but an element of it in there, yeah. Is it, a, is it a wonderful? And maybe it's a little too positive in that conclusion? Um, hmm. But also, yeah, it is kind of brutal how it handles the individual stories to where instead of being invested in the people, it uses them almost as pawns just to tell the larger story. Hmm. Which is something I have, the sentence you just said (laughs) is like one of the absolute things I hate most that a movie can do. And it's funny this movie kept reminding me of other movies throughout and which only further exposed why i don't like this movie like the whole idea of like handling multiple characters at a time um and moving in between these characters seamlessly having a lot of like one take shots like to me that reminds me of boogie nights especially in the case of this movie because it's about hollywood um or like something like magnolia um 
but those movies have fully fleshed out characters with full storylines that I can that I can map out individually, uh, you know, in my head on a sheet of paper and like see like the beauty and growth and downfall and ultimate redemption that happens at the end and like what it's and how all these stories combine to say something greater and how they all uh, reflect on the ending and make the ending make more sense. Like I just, I'm not seeing that kind of, I mean, just on a pure surface level and from a, a writing standpoint, like I don't think any of that meat is there, but beyond that, I, again, the opening scene's okay, but I, I, I don't really care for Damien Chazelle's style, <laughs> the way he like cuts between people. To me, it doesn't have like the, the seamlessness, the fluidity, the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson to me makes it seem effortless and makes everything connect so well. And in Damien Chazelle's movies, like I'm just constantly aware of it. Like it feels so constructed and manufactured in a way that like really takes me out of it and doesn't keep me in the scene. And, and instead like, makes me just notice like what it's doing which is not something you want in a movie like you want to be sucked in just part of it so uh that's a long rant about why paul Thomas anderson is better than damien chazelle <laughs> i mean just <laughs> that nobody about... asked for <laughs> <laughs> i i know magnolia is one of your favorite movies and that's yeah. so heavily into cross-cutting between characters yeah that yeah it's kind of a such a different use of it. I mean, it's one of the things that pisses me off about Christopher Nolan is how much he relies on cross cutting and this kind he of does. mini montage with just a really good score over top to build energy <laughs> and good actors acting. So it feels powerful. Yeah. When nothing actually happens or the payoff yeah. <laughs> to the, these things is often just like, did we get anything from this? Yeah. Like what? I guess there was something momentous, but at the same time, no. And you just compare it to Magnolia. Just compare everything that crosscuts between multiple characters to Magnolia. Yeah. And Magnolia and Boogie Nights. Like he was just doing the hell out of that back then. Yeah, they win. Uh, they win. Okay, so the part of this movie, we talked a lot about negative <laughs> things. The part of the movie <laughs> that I think is still the best part and the most impressive to me and just one of those things where when I'm watching it I'm in just pure and utter disbelief about how you possibly film all of it mm -hmm. was the second half hour when they're filming movies in 1926 yeah yeah that part's you, great, so right? you're just blown away by it yeah, I think just the, the battle scene and them filming the battle scene and the idea that you have, like, the acting of people attacking each other, but then it cuts to the actual injuries that are occurring. And mm -hmm. that blend of fiction and reality and the brutality then of the movie industry that's coming through, but how nobody cares, but then they care so much about making the movie it's so weird and how dehumanizing it is while how passionate it is about what's happening. Yeah. And you have all these characters doing all of these things, the build up for Manny going to get the camera and rushing back and the payoff of that scene with Jack Conrad coming out and uh, like managing to do the final moments of the movie with the 
butterfly coming in was that a real butterfly was that a cgi butterfly <laughs> as well as like nelly getting to show off in such a way and we saw how magnetic she was at the party but to then see that translate to being on sets and that she had such talent and the director falling in love with her i don't know there's just something so magical about that 20 minute 30 minute stretch that it's the heart of the movie to me the most fascinating part of the movie to me Mm -hmm. and nothing really lives up to it afterwards (laughs) uh, (laughs) which is a bit of a shame but i'm just so impressed by how you could possibly even make any of that yeah i i think i'm in agreement with you uh my point as i said before is like that kind of scene happens so many times in this movie that by the end of it, it feels like torture. Uh, but on the other side of this movie, I probably could go back to that scene that you're talking about and be like, oh yeah, like this is great how it's handling all this at once. And in, in what we've talked about before with the whole like one take aesthetic, not that this scene is one take, but just speaking to that, how like it doesn't matter if something's done in one take, it's not impressive if what we're seeing in that one take, no matter how technically impressive it is, it doesn't matter if it doesn't like speak to what the movie's about and expand on what the movie's trying to say. And the scene you're talking about totally does do that. It's uh, it's before we kind of see the downfall of all these people and the fallout of, of Silent Hollywood going out and talkies coming in, we need to see the pure commitment and artistry on display and all of the shit that goes on in the background of one of these movies like this movie th- that scene is handling it all like pretty well and and in retrospect when you think about like you know Jack Conrad's character and his downfall and everything like you can't help but think back to that moment like yeah he was a drunk and <laughs> he was a piece of shit but like he had this moment where he was able to come out and like that's how he had power like he just had to show his face and give the right expression he didn't have to say anything and like the dude brought people to tears like that's a beautiful thing uh, so that scene is very effective in that way yeah i i love and maybe maybe that my love of that scene and i do really like the initial party as that's another one where i'm just like it had to have been madness to film this just how do you the amount of extras the coordination that's going on the blocking of it all like the continuity of it all it's just so impressive to me on a technical level and i do really love the the poetry of the party by the end coming to be representative of that hollywood experience especially with nelly doing the congo line in the the final sequence where she starts leading people along it reminds me of the the pied piper in a way and it's like this is what hollywood is you fall into this yeah. line of people that are doing this dance and part of this party and we know what comes after the party there's something about the the metaphor of everything that happens that's very appealing to me and very mm. interesting to me and then the scope and scale as well gets to just my inherent like that's one of my scale. favorite yeah my favorite things is a movie that has a big scope and big scale. Uh, it certainly so does. I find myself like going back and forth, especially in the middle of this 
conversation because as we're talking, it is <laughs> highlighting. Like I was coming out of the movie last night on like a bit of a high. And as we're talking about it, it's like, yeah, there are these things that really do feel like flaws. Somebody yelled at me on Twitter the other day because I said a movie wasn't perfect. And they're like, no movie's perfect. I was like, yeah, but I was using that as shorthand for that there's flaws right. in the third act that I think really compromise the story, but I was trying to be nice about it. I, every movie has flaws, but I think this movie has like major flaws that end up keeping it out of that like top, top tier but that there are also some really special aspects to it sure. and really yeah. interesting things that I think it wants to say that maybe I'm not necessarily getting from other movies that means that there's kind of a a rarity to it that even if it's not the perfect delivery, I still appreciate right. the attempt. Hmm. Yeah, I I... It's funny because I'm sitting here like not necessarily disagreeing with anything you're saying. Like there are parts of the movie that I think transcend. Um, in 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 many ways, you know, there are a lot of movies I watched. Like I watched this movie called Chain Reaction last night. It's a Keanu Reeves, Morgan Freeman, Rachel Weisz movie from the '90s that was generally not very good. And I don't think there's a single moment in that movie that I would say like transcends. Like it was just like a run of the mill humdrum action movie um like it felt like a seagull movie like that's that's the best comparison i can make um and even though that had no moments that transcended and babylon does like i really really hated babylon and i just feel <laughs> like pretty lukewarm towards chain reaction so like it's a weird balance you have with a movie like this i i agree with you that like this is the kind of movie that is rarefied and rarefied air in quotes that it's going for something bigger and I do respect that. But I think when you do attempt something like that, it, it, it's a much bigger risk. And you can <laughs> find new depths that movies don't usually find, <laughs> uh, which is which was the case for me. So what would you say was your favorite, like just your favorite thing? Maybe not even favorite yeah. part. Maybe it was just like a performance or a shot or uh, a line I'll of dialogue. I'll go through a few things. I, like I said, the whole Jack Conrad storyline, uh, actually thinking about his whole storyline in retrospect, just in this moment, like I feel like I just had a movie that was him. Like I feel like everything Damien Chazelle was trying to say would have hit harder if we had just focused on Jack Conrad. <laughs> um, but, uh, but especially everything that happens once he finds out that his movie sucks and that he's not going to be a film star anymore in the talkies up until his death um i really loved just the way brad pitt was handling it like he really to me i mean he's pretty great in this movie he really comes alive as that character but i just felt something different with him in these moments like it was much more palpable and i recognized the character a little bit more like before that it felt like brad pitt being brad pitt you know <laughs> like doing his thing yeah uh, which was enjoyable, but then like was, he really fell into that character, I think, in those moments. So I like that. Um, and I I agree with you that the scene, that scene where they're making the movies, it's pretty good. Um, it actually makes me think of the opening scene now, where you know I'm sitting here saying that the the one take shot that happens at the beginning, like it's good. Um, but we have talked about 
one take shots a lot in this podcast. And I've been the crotchety old man in every single instance where I'm like, <laughs> I'm not always that impressed by a one take shot. Um, because, and I think this scene really does speak to it as well. Even though I don't think it's bad, I, I can't help but think like what the scene could have been if it hadn't done that. Um, th there's something, you know, you're talking about the scene where they're filming the movie and how great it is. That scene's not a one take shot. It's a million shots edited down to create an energy and give you a snapshot of what it was like to be here on this day. To me, that's infinitely more impressive than a one take shot and much harder to do. I just can't help but think like during those one take shots at the beginning, like, oh, the camera's passing by here. Like, here's the moment where you do you snort a line of coke off her chest, you know, like it feels kind of silly to me in that way. <laughs> and like thinking about it now, I'm just like. I guess that's the word I just use. Like, it seems kind of silly to do a, uh, a shot like that when you could, like, splice together all of these moments and create the manic energy of the party, probably in a lot more palpable way than just, like, drifting through the party in one shot, you know? Um, so, anyway, that's my long-winded way of saying that I agree with you that that second scene in the movie is pretty awesome. It is. It is. <laughs> I. Uh, it's funny because... I'm starting to see more of what you mean about one take shots. Cause to me, that's like, they're like cracked me. I get so excited about one take shots and am always interested in them and always mm -hmm. kind of find them a little superior to not. I mean, that's not even true. I just, I hate quick cuts <laughs> a lot of the time. Well, there's a lot um, of quick cuts in that, uh, that movie scene. But like real quick cut. I just okay. like the more that the average shot length kind of like tails out in a movie, I think generally the more I like the movie. I mean, that all that won't always be the case, but I mm -hmm. just think of something like people talk about Chappie by Neil Blomkamp. <laughs> and do people talk about Chappie? Up, it comes up on Twitter every now and then, especially with Gran Turismo getting ready to come out. Uh, and it's it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen because the editing is so stupid in how it's cutting over and over and over and over and over and just won't linger on one thing for more than two or three seconds. It's infuriating. Uh, so I tend to really like <laughs> longer shots, but I do get what you mean by the idea of the camera drifting in something that's supposed to be high energy it's a very subjective thing because to me i find it fascinating to observe in that sure. and have that omniscient kind of perspective but i can see how it would feel distancing uh at the same time yeah gosh if i mean if i was more if i was a director you know if i had a better vocabulary for this kind of thing like maybe i could break it down a little bit more because as you've noted, Magnolia is one of my favorite movies ever. And that movie is stuffed to the brim <laughs> with one take shots. I'm thinking of when they're going through like the TV studio and stuff. I don't know. There's kind of like a flow and artistry to the way that's handled that. Like when I see Damien Chazelle's do it, I'm just so aware of it. Maybe that's what I don't like is like when I'm just aware that something flashy is happening, that he's trying to do something. Like I don't want to know that. I want to just be in it. And I, I can't say that was ever the case in this movie. There's there's a few one-take shots in this movie, or at least a few shots that are trying to feel one-takey and like really bring you into a moment. But 
I don't know. None of them were hitting in the way I'd like. But I that's think Margot just a Robbie subjective sh- thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I get that. I I was gonna just throw in a, a a quick hot take of I think Margot Robbie should have been nominated for Best Actress. I, gosh, it's it's the same. You know, I guess in La La Land, um, I really like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. So that feels out. Hmm. It's because I was about to say that, like, I, I wish I could say that about anybody in this movie. And maybe Brad Pitt comes closest because, like I said, the movie slows down and it feels like a different movie in those moments. But and as much as I recognize Margot Robbie as a fucking movie star and she's acting her ass off and she's awesome, like, I feel like I can't say I, I feel like I can't go that far with her saying like she should have won an award or anything because nominated, I just, nominated, nominated. Sure. Um, I just hate the writing so much. <laughs> like, I don't feel like her character like gets to that point and allows Margot Robbie to take it to that point. You know, like if we were just giving out awards for like people being awesome and like doing so much, like, yeah, she's doing all that shit. Um, but I never felt the power of her character, like her walking away in the end was a little bit better. Like that was maybe the only moment I felt something on the precipice of power but beyond that it just like every instance with her just feels like really ugly and chaotic in a way that's not interesting to me i get that from like the narrative perspective but the i feel like the way in which she has to deliver on those moments Mm -hmm. and her commitment to it and what it takes for her to even make the character interesting and feel alive even if yeah. what the character is doing is ugly it's just such a impressive thing i haven't seen fablemans you've seen fablemans i thought Would that was you... one of the movies i was going to bring up <laughs> yeah do you think michelle williams's performance was you would nominate her over uh margot robbie uh i mean have you seen fablemans no no i haven't seen it Oh, okay. I mean, their roles really aren't comparable at all. Like, all the movie <laughs> yeah. stuff just happens with Spielberg's character. Um, and Michelle Williams is really just on the outside, like... Because the movie's... Really, it's Spielberg, like, taking stock of his own life and reflecting on these moments yeah. where he's looking back. It's a weird movie that plays with memory because he's looking back on something that is now a movie. So, like, he's able to reflect on something artistically. Um and Michelle Williams is just always part of that reflection. So, uh, and there are no moments where she's snorting coke or anything. So she's not exactly comparable to Margot Robbie. Uh, but no, I mean, but in terms of like maybe more of what you're getting at is like, does like the way the part's written allow her character to have more of an effect and be more worthy of an award? That's the most pretentious thing I've ever said. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I would say so. Like, <laughs> like. Margot Robbie should get a fucking Oscar for everything she does, as far as I'm concerned. Like, she's incredible. Um, But as far as, like, the movie and, like, her having the right character to finally win that Oscar, I wouldn't say this is it. No. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to watch Fablemans. Because I've seen Everything Everywhere and Tar and Half of Blonde. And I get, like, I wouldn't necessarily say that Robbie's role in this was more deserving than 
you know, what Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and Anna de Armas had to do. But I haven't seen to Leslie or Fablemans, so I'm not sure. Case with Andrea yeah. Riseborough and Michelle Williams. I mean, I love Michelle Williams. I, this is a whole separate discussion, but I don't know if I would have gone as far to like nominate her for an award. I think it was, that was just the case of like anybody in the biggest movie. If you're the lead actor or supporting actor in one of the biggest movies a year, like you're going to get nominated. Okay, so Margot Robbie should have been nominated over. <laughs> sure, Williams. why not? <laughs> you heard it here. You heard it here. Um, <laughs> okay, I I don't know any. Any other thoughts? Anything you want to ask me about? Um, I feel or like we you talked about your favorite part. Um, I guess. Yeah, what do I want to know about? I okay. Here's what I want to know about because Chris, there is never a time for the rest of my life if I see Tobey Maguire in a movie, I'm gonna think of you. And <laughs> I know you have a lot of PTSD from Spider-Man Three, and I don't know if you've recovered yet. Did you enjoy Tobey Maguire in this movie, or has he forever been sullied by Spider-Man 3? <laughs> yeah, for people who don't know, Travis has <laughs> kind of hinted at it. I I was a big fan of the first two Spider-Man movies, and then Spider-Man 3 came out, and I remember being in theaters, watching it, and just the entire theater being in a what-the-fuck mode of just what is this what like what are we watching it wasn't something where in hindsight all these years later it's become kind of a a fun thing people were seriously upset and i maybe the most upset of them all i just i hate that movie so much and i have it started looking back fondly on it of you know it's just doing something different i still think it's fucking stupid have you, I hate have you watched you it like since? it i watched it like two years ago oh okay see that, that's fair, just then. just to see you know just to see maybe i would like it ironically or maybe <laughs> i would just appreciate what it was doing on this absurd level and i don't know yeah i had but to watch no. it four times to like it so yeah, and I hate that you like it. I hate that you like it. It's the worst thing about you. And I it's hate true. that enough people now have grown up with the movie as just kind of a thing that they had on as children that it's now more <clears throat> in vogue to like it than it is to hate it. To it's where true. if you express hatred for the movie online, people are like, what? No, it's great. Like, <laughs> I love the movie. It's like, no, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> Shut up. It's awful. It's stupid. Every line of dialogue is stupid. The story's stupid. The choices made are stupid. The filmmaking's stupid. The characters are stupid. Everything is idiotic. And I blamed Tobey Maguire <laughs> for no reason. You would have a big part for him, him being the face of it. Uh, and just being so punchable in that movie, his facial expressions <laughs> in it were infuriating to me. And which is ironic because he moves so fast that you can't punch him. <sighs> he would duck everything, and just backflip <laughs> away, and then laugh at me and make a quip that's infuriating. And I finally, <laughs> I'd get it. I'd be like, this is why the villains hate you. <sighs> so I've lived with that for decades now. and (laughs) it really colored my feelings of toby Maguire for a long time to where whenever i'd see him in a movie i'd just be like 
Spider-Man 3, this idiot, this bozo. Uh, which is pretty unfair. Uh, I do really like the Ice Age, which... <laughs> Wait, the Ice Storm? Uh, the Ice Storm, yeah, the Ice Storm. I was like, is he an Ice Age? Yeah, sorry, the Ice Storm, which is what, like be... a 1999 Ang Lee movie? I think it was 99, yeah. I, I just love the idea of anybody in the world being like, I really love the Ice Age franchise. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's somebody that did 1997. That was a 1997 movie. Oh, wow. Um, he's great in that. And then everything between Spider-Man 3 <laughs> and essentially No Way Home, I was just furious at um, <laughs> for a long time. So... So, <laughs> how about James McKay? He was fine. He was fine. Okay. I, I didn't like I didn't like him in Great Gatsby either. Ugh. Um, but you know, No Way Home came out at the end of 2021, so I was just like, all right, he redeemed himself. He got to be like good Peter Parker again, and so seeing him in Babylon still. Wow. I mean, it leaned into the fact of me being so like weirded out by him in spider-man 3 he's so <laughs> weird in this and making such kind of terrifying facial expressions and kind of just creepy and strange which is cool but also there's just something where it's like ah, ah he's creepy i enjoyed him yeah um so i think he that's a long way of saying like he did a good job and i wasn't opposed to him being in the movie but Spider-Man 3 is still the stupidest movie I've ever watched in my entire life. That was mostly why I asked. I wanted to just give you this this platform to vent about Spider-Man 3. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Whew, that felt good. <laughs> All right. Do we want to rank Babylon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to see how low it is for you. Well, I said it was one of the least enjoyable movies I've ever watched. <clears throat> Um, for those uninitiated, we have a big long list of movies that we've ranked, um, every movie we've seen since the start of 2022. And yeah, so how long is your list at this point, Chris? 153. All right. I watched several movies over the past weekend because I was hanging out with my bud. So I'm up to 432. Okay. And where do you guess it's at? I guess that it's probably at f- mm-hmm. 426. You're three off. 429. 420, 429. Damn. Yeah. It's. I I could go between that and Scream. Like, that would be the remake of Scream. Um, I go back and forth between those, but for now, I have it lower than Scream. So, the, the positives of the. <laughs> one scene being as impressive as it is maybe <laughs> don't outweigh all of like is there something better in scream okay. that you're like well i at least appreciate this more uh, no they're both pretty shitty uh, i i would say so we've talked about this on the podcast before and i i believe i'm using i'm using your exact words here that you're more of a parts and pizzas kind of guy um where like if there are things about a movie that really work like you appreciate that you can remember that and it elevates the entirety of the movie to you 
I am not somebody who's really that way. Like we can sit here and talk about it and like I can respect certain scenes in this movie, but this is a three hour, nine minute movie um, (laughs) that made me feel miserable by the end of it. I felt connected to nobody (laughs) in it. Um, So like to me, it doesn't matter how good a single scene is if it doesn't contribute to something greater and make me feel something transcendent by the end. Uh, So in that way, Babylon is just flat out worse. Like it was a a bigger waste of my time. So it goes lower. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Such an asshole way to put it. But like, I mean, that's the way it is. (laughs) What's below it? What are the three below it? Um, Okay. So the three below it are Vivarium. You remember that movie? Yeah. I never saw it. Uh, That movie is actually kind of short, but still more torturous than Babylon. Um, Just the, a really really ugly movie it's one of those movies that like is nothing but social commentary in like a very elementary way if it, it feels like you know like a film student an aspiring film student in like junior high would write and that's how like everything is like social commentary on something about like domesticity and the american dream and all of it was just like done in a more boring way than a million other movies have done it um the gray man was below that which i just <laughs> It's just, it's got that Russo brother energy. Like, it just feels like everything boring that happened to action movies in the last five years. And Hereditary is at the bottom for, I'm sure we'll talk about Hereditary someday, so I don't even need to go into it. We did it, do an episode on it already? We did not. (laughs) And to be honest, a lot of the stuff I have said about Babylon would just apply to Hereditary. Like, a very ugly movie to me. Yeah, I feel like we talked about it in one of the early like ranking episodes talking about that it just maybe like, had no positive like redemption redeeming. It was just all ugly and that sucks. Yeah, I actually weirdly talked about Hereditary when I visited my friend this weekend because I was at a table full of people who like it, uh, except me and my friend who don't. Um, so ah. it was fun to get some of my feelings out about it. <laughs> <laughs> and make did, a, a permanent list of enemies of people who don't like me anymore. Yeah, did you know the people before you had this conversation? Yeah, I, I kind of knew them. They're they're part of a friend group that I know a lot better. They're like these tangential, like newer people to the friend group, and I've hung out with them a few times. They're cool, and they know I really like movies. But this is maybe the first time we've talked about movies in depth. And of course, we talked about Hereditary. Of course, they're just like, oh, you have to love Hereditary, and you're like, actually. <laughs> no no I don't uh, I have Babylon higher um, oh, oh the really okay yeah so my category is like there's 10 the middle's neutral then it's positives and then really good I have it in the really good category Um, so not in the impressive amazing colossal but just I think that some of the positives, it's more of like a like a 60-40 thing of more positives mm-hmm. than negatives where I feel like with really good, I think more of the positive stuff than I, the negative stuff that comes to mind. Sure. So I have it at number 39 overall. All right. Yeah, That's just below. than I expected based on what you said, but I guess it makes sense that I think about it a little bit more. It had been down at like 50, I think. <laughs> so it rose up 11 spots, but like Tar actually jumped up like a whole other level 
um, <clears throat> in recent months. I thought months. of Tar too while watching this movie. Yeah. Just the um, general, but, like, modern energy of it, you know? Like, um, the way characters are approached these days and, like, I don't know. There's just something about it that felt... I, I've become more and more aware of, like, how modern movies are, which is funny in this movie, Babylon. It's about the silent <laughs> film era. Like, it really uses, like, none of those techniques at all. It's It just feels so modern. Yeah, it... It is a very modern. Very banal there's something observation about, like, on my part. <laughs> the blocking camera work, like there's just something that did make me think of Tar. Uh, but I have it below Bones and All and above Elvis. <laughs> I just lo- I love when you give me the sandwich. Like that is a crazy. Like mine is Scream and Vivarium. Like what a weird set of movies. <laughs> right, you just like you have what where. <laughs> <laughs> you know the the scene where Tobey Maguire is leading them through the tunnel. <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen Under the Silver Lake, uh, but it really reminded no. me of that movie, and also reminded me of why I love that movie and why I don't like this. I need to watch it. I was at Sundance when that premiered there, and I wanted to see it so badly, but couldn't get tickets. Or I think you'd like it. Uh... Oh no! Wait, Under the Silver Lake's two thousand eighteen. Yeah, I what think 2018. Oh, I'm thinking of something from like 2013, 2014. Oh, you might um, be thinking of It Follows, cause same director. No. No? It oh, was okay. something like Lakey. I don't know. This isn't like a remake <laughs> of an Australian I remember movie, is it? When we were at Toronto Film Festival, there was some movie that was actually a miniseries that had the word lake in it. Top of the Lake? I, I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that was at Toronto. Yeah, that was at Toronto. Okay. Look, we went yeah, to then... Toronto International Film Festival, everybody. Don't freak out. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was just a casual thing that we do. Film classes <laughs> guys do. Used to do. <laughs> Used to do. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute. Okay. We'll get back. Yeah, I need to see Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, it's a good movie. Okay. On Top of the Lake? Top of the Lake, yeah. A mystery yeah. drama series. Uh... And who made it? It aired in 2013. Uh, Jane Campion. Oh, yeah. Jane Campion. That, of course. Okay. That's that's why it was a big deal. Yeah. Okay. That was it. That was it. Solve yeah, that mystery. Great wow. You're welcome, this everyone. episode had a cliffhanger, and we, we pulled it off at the very end. That's nice. I don't know. Look at that. Well, what are we talking about next? God. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what's popular after sun has continued to be a pretty popular one yeah i mean i still haven't seen it it'd be good to it'd be good to watch it it's a movie i like after that'll be a nice change of pace yeah let's do one that you like rather than how do you feel about donnie darko oh let's watch donnie darko you want to do darko great. yeah i'm excited to revisit donnie darko because it's a movie i always loved and the last time I watched it was like the first time I kind of started to not like it. And I feel like I need to pull myself back in. Okay. Here's a question, Travis. This is a kind of a big, big part of what's going to happen. Do we watch the theatrical or the director's cut or both? Well, the director's cut has all of the former movie. Oh no, you're right. It's different, isn't it? Um, 
I mean, we can watch the director's cut because I know the movie so well that like I remember everything that happens in the regular version, even all the musical beats, everything. So we can just watch the director's <laughs> cut. All right. Director's cut it is. You know, it's a point of controversy. There are people that think the yeah. director's cut is way, way worse. Oh, wait. That's why I didn't like it. Oh, yeah. I watched the director's cut last time. Huh. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's do the director's cut because again, I remember the movie so well that I can speak to like everything that changed. Okay, yeah, this will be interesting because I think I have a, a differing <laughs> opinion on the director's cut. <laughs> We've talked about it before. Yeah, I know that's about you. Yeah, I think it's superior. Yeah. Okay, but I, I'm excited to watch it again. You know, because I'm a different person than I was whenever I watched it last. That's right, Travis. You keep growing. <laughs> okay. So, um, all right. We all know the routine. Everybody quiet down. We're going to launch into the end here, right? Yep. Okay. So, lights. Camera. See. See ya. <laughs> oh, this is a good this is a good idea we have. We'll get there. We'll get there. I let's let's try again just like a little faster after I say camera. Okay. All right. All right. Lights camera see ya see ya <laughs> one of these days